Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to the newest episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Albert Gibson to my Harry Tasker. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how you doing? Uh, you know, whenever you need your wedding ring, I got it for you, bud. And our very own Simon. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, how are you doing? I mean, I'm I'm useful in a in a script way and useless in every other way. So we, it's a it. it's two pot two two in a row now. Was the second time we've done this, and I made something made me laugh before, before during the <laughs> intro while I was trying to do it. So um, this one wasn't I'm just as saying, good as Donut Dog, unfortunately. They, yeah, it was not as good as the Donut Dog intro. That you guys are just gonna have to wonder what yeah. Donut Dog is all about because we're not donut now. Dog. We're never gonna explain it. It's lost forever. <laughs> the sands of time have eaten uh, the the Donut Dog. Um, okay, Pete Prisco has released his final power rankings. Um, we are uh, we already did this, so I'm not going to try to make you guys guess again. The Seahawks came in at 13th. Okay, Eric, of the team, the 12 teams ahead of us, I'll read them off. Which one do you feel most disrespected by? So uh, I'll just start at number seven because I don't think the top six you feel disrespected by. Jacksonville, Los Angeles Chargers, New York Football Giants, Baltimore Ravens, Minnesota Vikings, uh, Miami Dolphins. Which team do you feel most disrespected by that Pete Prisco thinks they're better than the Seahawks? Um, you know, I think the hot take here, not the hot take, the consensus take will be the Vikings, but I think you have to respect their record without respecting the team. I'd say the Dolphins. The Dolphins were, um, a different team with Tua all five games he played. That was a team that kind of coasted into the playoffs where we worked to be in the playoffs. Uh, disrespect. For me, it's the Giants. We beat the Giants head to head pretty handily. Like two touchdowns. Um, and they, and they didn't, uh, that, just that them beating the Vikings in a playoff game, we like we all agree. I think the Vikings are pretty fraudulent. So I just feel really disrespected. The Giants are trying. I feel like he just felt like, oh, they got a playoff win, so they got to go up with all the other playoff win teams. And that's just not how power rankings should work. Power rankings should be like, if these teams faced off, where do you think they should be? And I really don't think that many people would think the Giants should beat the Seahawks in a playoff game. So that's so kinda- that would put us at eighth. You think? If you no, no, no. I would just move the Giants way down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I would have us around 11, 12. Um, I'm, I would say we're, we should be basically functionally tied with the Vikings and ahead of the Giants. I, I mean, if the Giants and the Vikings played 10 times, I don't think the Giants are going to win more than like three or four of them. I don't think those teams are pretty close together to me as well. So, all right, Kevin, which team did you feel most disrespected by? Uh, the Giants are I feel most disrespected by, but since that's already been said, you know who else we beat head-to-head? The Chargers. You know who else didn't win a playoff game? The Chargers. You know who I think we're better than? The Chargers. Yeah. Charger, Chargers really blew it, too, in the Jacksonville game. Wow. Just a an all-time yeah, Way to take the embarrassment off of us. Like, you know, as a matter of fact, for that reason, I'm I'm ready to be tied with them just because I appreciate them taking the heat off of our incredibly bad playoff loss. All right, lots of DK Metcalf news this week. Eric, I'm sure you've seen the viral video of DK Metcalf jumping a thousand feet into the air <laughs> to catch yes. to catch the football. Did uh, that video is fake? Correct. <laughs> we all, we're on we're on agreement because I've actually seen another version of it where he doesn't jump quite as high and it, it looks more real to me. So really cool edit though. Um, I mean, you, it's it's fun. I was more interested in his All Star Game performance. That's how's the other DK Metcalf. Yeah. So how what did you what did you see from him in the uh, in the celebrity All Star Game? He won the MVP. <laughs> well, but, what did I see? I didn't see any injuries, so I thought it was awesome. <laughs> I mean, especially because he like dunked. Me and four John times. Schneider. Yeah, every time he went up for a dunk, John Schneider was just like, "Oh god, 
Oh god, okay, no, just 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 shoot threes and then he'd go for another dunk. <laughs> if he Every time he him, landed, you were like, Is he is he getting up too fast? Or are you getting up too slow? <laughs> if he hits his wrist on the rim and is out for two oh. to six weeks, I am forever burning the NBA to the ground. That's my, my, as long as they didn't play these in ATVs, I think it's okay. My 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 celebrity all star game thing too. Like that I, I loved the look on DK's face when the Miz made a half court shot to potentially win the game. <laughs> WWE superstar the Miz knocked down a a half court three pointer that was just like fractional seconds too late. Uh, I feel like uh, they should have pretended to look at the monitor and been like, "It was good because it was cool." It was cool that, that he knocked down a half court three pointer to win Nathan, the game. I how don't... dare you? How dare you penetrate the integrity of the celebrity all star game? I mean, by that's saying it. You should just do whatever is cool. That's, I mean, that's they let the they let Eli Manning take the a sport. <laughs> they let Eli Manning's team take a knee in the Pro Bowl. Like that's against the rules. Like who cares? It doesn't matter. Just let, like let the let the coolest thing be the thing that happened. That Would was it really so cool. be more fraudulent than Strahan's sack on far for the record? I mean, I'm just saying. Oh. Also, it was that cool because makes me Simi Lou played like the whole game and then kept throwing. He kept throwing inbounds passes and turning it over like it was. And that that was another one. He, he got to keep it competitive, Nathan. That's that's why they didn't redo it. because they oh my keep gosh. It uh, it's rigged by Vegas for all the people betting on uh, the uh, the celebrity all star game. That's anyway. Congrats. <laughs> congrats to DK Metcalf for winning the MVP, getting an MVP vote before Russell Wilson. Nice job, DK. Really proud of you. Um, that w- it was really fun. It's been a, it's a fun week. DK's got the, a great social media team with the <clears throat> pretend pretend jump thing, and the now he's got to probably be pumping this up. And last year with the Nesquik and the sprinting and stuff, that I think he does a really good job, like kind of keeping himself in the spotlight in a in a really fun way, and not a way that's like you know like Alvin Kamara keeps himself in the spotlight in, a, in an in an unfun way. <clears throat> Sorry, couldn't help it. Um, all right, you guys. You guys ready for the big topic today? Uh, so, is it, so today is our it big topic on, uh, is we want to talk the real about life trophy size? the draft, but not from like a we like this player, we like that player point of view. More like a what are the kinds of players that might be available in this range and what do we think philosophically the Seahawks should be thinking when they make each of these picks. So we know the Geno Smith situation is ongoing, so that's going to influence what we do. And our first pick, which is at number five. So I'm, I'm using I'm using PFF's mock draft simulator here. And um, at number five, we are presented with our first real choice here. Uh, the available for us, we have a, a premier edge defender in Will Anderson Jr., but also a quarterback who I think many would say is deserving of a first round grade, CJ Stroud. And so, Eric, I'm going to start with you. Um, when you look at that situation, the, the young rookie quarterback on the rookie deal, you know, whether it's C.J. Stroud or Anthony Richardson or Will Levis or Bryce Young, you know, it could be any of those guys. You look at those those four quarterbacks that people say are first-rounders, though, and they're getting that quarterback on the rookie deal. We've seen it. It's so valuable. But Geno Smith is he's still a, <laughs> he still exists, and there's premier defenders like like edge defenders like Will Anderson available as well where what should the Seahawks be thinking here in this in this kind of choice between a quarterback and an edge defender what where do you where do you kind of what do you think they should be thinking there it's hard because I'm always going to defer to you on anything that doesn't involve matters of the heart so it's my understanding that uh is I don't watch a lot of college football uh I watched two games this year um 
the the quarterbacks in this draft aren't people that are probably going to play first year. Uh, maybe maybe CJ Stroud, maybe Bryce Young. Is that the guy's name? Yep, those uh, are the those are the two that are probably definitely going to play year one. Yeah, I agree. With however, you. however, go back in time. Uh, why uh, why wasn't Patrick Mahomes taken first overall? Right, this guy wasn't going to play. So I think the way we analyze quarterbacks um, for the professional game is certainly flawed. Um, you know, look at look at Brock Purdy with San Francisco. Uh, I'm not ready to put the gold jacket on him, but that is also a guy who is Mr. Irrelevant in the draft. So I think there's hey, a way that talk about Purdy gold jackets, Purdy gold you're look, jackets. You're looking at a guy who held a Patrick Mahomes rookie of the year betting ticket. Okay, so so yeah, I'm, yeah. I was. Well, I think honestly, this <laughs> podcast like. The way that that you guys analyzed Teddy Bridgewater pre-draft uh, was more accurate than a lot of how the a lot of the NFL teams had it. Same with um, I feel like I nailed uh, Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, yeah, yeah Lamar Jackson as well. So, and we all kind of had that. So, for we won't me, talk about my Justin Herbert takes though. <laughs> Everyone, hey man, Justin uh, Bobby Aber's kid doing just fine. Still not better than the Seahawks. Uh, I'm all in on the uh, pass rush in the offseason. That's where I want to be. Um, if if Winston's available at five, honestly, that's what I lean for. Or I'm so, sorry, uh, defensive, it, uh, defensive. Don't worry about the names, but like def- yes. but like but like you you want you want to you think like you want to compete next year. Then you want to go Geno, get an edge defender, and like make your make a serious run at at next year is our year. We're not trying to open a window two years from now. We're trying to open the window for immediately. Um, I'm trying to. I, I wouldn't put it like that. I would say I want all windows available. Rebuild as possible with an amazing edge rusher. Uh, winning with pass rush is how you win in the NFL, I think, at least how you build your defense. And I want to get that as early as possible. And Kevin, how about you? Where do you stand on the uh, the quarterback versus uh, defensive star? I mean, there's these and a lot of mock drafts you see out there have us taking Anderson or Wilson or Carter at number five. <clears throat> do you think that uh, do you think John, Pete and John are more open to quarterback, or or do you think they're they're really zoned in on those defensive players so for me personally i think top five picks are for franchise quarterbacks um your 10-year starting left tackle or pass rushers like spending a top five pick on any position except for that is um uh you're kind of throwing the pick away a little bit like it's 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 really it's really risky because if sauce Gardner doesn't turn out to be the best cornerback in the nfl like you're like, wow, I can't believe we spent overall number five on him, right? He has to be that good to live up to the pick. Yeah, and how much better <clears throat> is he than a guy in the fifth, you know? Oh, so okay. <laughs> <laughs> had, had to go there, all right. Uh, so I would be open to looking at quarterback just because this is a team that never plans to draft inside the top 10, and here we're sitting. Um, I also think that we as a group have talked and we trust – the front office's quarterback evaluations at this point. And they're able to create a system that can work through the flaws of a quarterback and still allow them to operate. I don't think that the growing pains would be as big as like um, what Fields is going through in uh, Chicago or something like that. Like we're not going to work against our quarterback's interests. You're saying our head coach is not Matt Nagy. Uh, yeah, not future Kansas City <laughs> head coach Matt Nagy. Uh, we have okay. current Seattle head coach <laughs> Pete Carroll, who, I mean, care is in his name. Uh, so I'm good with Anderson or Carter because I think they provide a pretty guaranteed level of pass rush. Um, uh, and Anderson's my number one guy. So like a blue chip pass rusher like that, I think is worth taking this pick. 
But if you have a quarterback that you think can be your quarterback for the next 10 seasons, and you think they're going to be the next one to take you to the Super Bowl, then I I totally think that's worth spending the pick on. So but for me, anything I, outside of that, I don't like it. At this point, it's hard not to trust John Schneider and Pete Carroll when it comes to quarterback evaluation. They saw something in Geno when no one else did. He became a pro bowler and probably borderline top 10 quarterback. They saw something in Russell Wilson when everyone else was passing on him. Uh, he was a perennial pro bowler when he was with us. They made made significant moves to try to trade to get Josh Allen, a guy that I would have said with your nuts for trying to go for, and he would turned out to 100% be that dude. They know what they're looking for in a quarterback. If they see that in any of these quarterbacks, these four top four guys, if they see that kind of greatness in them, I am 100% fine with them using number five or even using number five and a future asset to move up to get their guy. Like I do not mind it at all. It does not bother me one, one moat. Like I am totally for it. Uh, that being said, it's, you don't get many chances to draft like really great edge rushers like this that are such sure things. Well, Anderson's last year. So it's hard. I think that it's something every Seahawks fan should really think about like how feel about, but stay open to the quarterbacks because you don't get many chances to pick this high, and those quarterbacks are the quarterbacks who can be franchise quarterbacks are usually gone by pick fifteen, most of the time. So <clears throat> it's really it's really really hard to get franchise quarterbacks outside of the top half of the first round, where we just as uh you guys both said we just don't pick in this range very very often. So it doesn't matter who we draft in the mock draft. So I'm just gonna put, click and then we'll go to the to our twentieth pick. Okay, um, so with the twentieth pick. Um, when I look at how the board develops, first, there's a name that, that comes up a lot, okay? Bijan Robinson, running back. Um, he is likely to be the number one player on multiple boards in the NFL based on just, like, his talent, you know, if we look at regardless of position. Uh, he, he will not be available at 20, but in mock drafts, he goes 20 or later. If he happened to be available at 20... Would you lose your Eric? Would you lose your mind if we drafted a running back at twenty? Would it Would it bother you, <laughs> especially coming off of Ken Walker finishing uh, what second in the Rookie of the Year? Would voting? I lose my mind? No. Yeah, like emotionally, think, how would you feel? I think a lot of people out there, though, like the casual fan, would like, oh, we don't even need this position. Why are we doing this? But um, mm. I've always said we need more running backs. We need a second running back because you know who is our second running back this year. Like you're you're flipping uh, a three headed coin. Yeah, you've DJ Dallas, <laughs> Travis Homer, whoever was healthy at the moment, whoever could carry the ball. Um, having a two headed attack in the NFL is a good idea. Um, I would rather I think spend this this draft pick on like either the best pass rusher available or the best interior offensive lineman available, as long as it's not a jump. But yeah, let's just say he falls here. Yes, take him. Another position that's really deep at this point in the draft. Uh, there, there are probably um, four or five, depending on who you ask, uh, cornerbacks, outside cornerbacks who really feel like they are, um, they, they really feel like they deserve to go in this range, and one of them might fall down the board to us here. Um, do, do you think it's okay to put on notice and uh, and draft an outside corner here to truly challenge him in the preseason? Um, is that, is that, a, would that be a wasted asset to you, Eric? Or is that, a, is that like, I'm just wondering, like, are you, are you kind of like position neutral? We just need the best talent. Is that, is that kind of where you're at with the draft in general this year? Uh, I'm more or less in this position 
like, you know, draft neutral, take the best available. A cornerback, man, I feel like looking at the the prospects out there, second round. Uh, we still have two picks in the second rounds. Um, I'd rather take one there. Again, I'd really like to focus on the three positions I mentioned at this spot, if available. Um, but if there's like another can't miss cornerback, if there's a can't miss player in the first round, I think you have to take them. And we have two opportunities to grab that this year. Yeah, and there, I mean, here's the thing. There's really productive edge players avail- that are going to be available at tw- around 20. Like Will McDonald was a really productive uh, pass rusher from Iowa State. You got Nolan Smith, who was a really effective uh, run stopper and could develop a pass rush set. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of interesting – this 20th pick is going to be interesting because there's also like tight ends that are really interesting and Michael Mayer and Luke Musgrave who probably will be available. Kevin, is there, is there a position – there's so much available here at 20 – um, what what kind of strategy should the Seahawks really be looking at here as they as they hit this twentieth pick? Like what what are we what are we looking at? I think this is one of those. Um, this could be either the team sees a guy that they think is a top fifteen player or the last top twenty player in the draft, and whoever that is, best player available, you just take him. If Peter Skaronsky falls because he's small, or if they think Michael Mayer is a top 15 player, or if they think one of those cornerbacks is heads and shoulders above the rest fringe top 10 player. Like I think you pick him. Otherwise we get the classic John Schneider filter back. John, uh, like John Schneider will just kind of trade back. They'd be like, I got these five or six guys that I think are all about the same. So he'll trade back into the mid twenties and be like, well, I'll just pick up some extra assets and then we'll still be able to get one of these guys we have in a cluster. We'll go ahead and let the other teams kind of break up this clump of players for us. So I, I kind of tend to agree. There are about 15 to 20 guys here that feel like legitimate first round talents. And I think if one of them is available at, at 20, if the Seahawks, let's say the Seahawks have identified 15 guys and, you know, because of the way draft boards fall and other teams have different opinions on guys and also just people will overdraft for need. That happens every year, right? Some team takes some wide receiver way too early because they just feel like they really need him. Or Vegas <clears> would just <throat> bafflingly think a guy's really good because he's fast or tall. Yes. The, the, that happens. And if there's just one, you know, if there's one top 15 guy left, let's say it's Joey Porter Jr., outside cornerback, I think the Seahawks just, you got to line up and take that guy. There's no position on this team that I feel like is bulletproof, even offensive tackle. I do think that offense people might say like okay you know we had the rookie tackles they were really good we don't if if the best player if you have one top 15 guy left at at 20 and it's an offensive tackle you know what like maybe we think about moving abraham lucas to guard and that that's not a diss on abraham lucas the rams have had a ton of had a ton of success with our current offensive coaching staff moving tackles who look and move exactly like abraham lucas into guard and having them become immediate pro bowlers that is one of the ways that they were able to stay good with no picks is they would pick up these athletic offensive tackles and convert them into guards and so i think that it's not off there's no position that's off the table for me and i think the seahawks really should look at here and say okay who's the best guy who's the best guy for our system is joey porter jr the best guy is michael mayer the best guy don't try to fit a square peg into a round hole like whatever you do here just don't don't try to fit a square peg. and if, if, if it happens to be b john robinson like if b john robinson's there at 20 i guarantee he's the number one guy on p carroll's board take b john robinson 
line him up in the slot on some plays with Ken Walker also and have him run jet action. We saw in the Super Bowl a team get dominated <clears throat> by jet action, right? Like jet action was was um was really good. And this is a guy who could be elite in that regard and bring a dimension to our offense, both running and catching, that could just be out of this world. Hey, Nathan, right, if we get Bijan Robinson, would you allow the screen game to come back? I mean, this yeah, you could do whatever you want with this guy. This guy could <laughs> you could I'm not joking. This I know I'm just saying so like fun. I, I want the I want the audience to get perspective. What if, you like Bijan Robinson so much <laughs> that it would make you hate screens less if we have if I was if I was <laughs> just doing like uh, if I'm just doing like raw talent board, like if I'm just saying who's the best, <clears throat> Bijan Robinson's number one on my board. He's the best football player in this draft. Running back is devalued as a position. And so rightfully so he will fall down the board, but there's, this is the best running back prospect. He's better than Ezekiel Elliott to me. He's, he's like, he's like if Christian McCaffrey wasn't like an injury risk. Cause he's small, you know what I mean? Like, like, or like slight or whatever. He's just, he's stocky Christian McCaffrey, but he moves just as good. I just don't. Yeah. I don't see do you how see he, him going realistically. Like, it's hard to say because we still have a few months till the draft, but where do you think he's going to where go? Where do I think where do I think he's gonna like go? this tells me like well, seven. Let me tell you, there's a team picking tenth that has yep. terrible running backs and all of the all of the everything else, and it's the Philadelphia Eagles. And I if if the Eagles find a way to kind of work their cap situation out so they're not losing a bunch of dudes and they feel comfortable with where their roster's at, there is not a chance in hell that he gets past the Eagles at ten because going from Miles Sanders to Bijan Robinson might is a huge upgrade, uh, enormous upgrade. So yeah, that's that's kind of where I see him going. If if he doesn't go ten, got bucks uh, at nineteen. Well, it sounds like before. Yeah, like, then, he could even go by who needs a wide receiver. If it's his, if it's correct, he's, he's as good as you say. Texans like, at twelve could could be yeah, there yeah. because uh, Texans at twelve feels really nice as like they're they're kind the of Texans second, avoiding the picks makes sense to me. Yeah, so that there's there's a there's a couple spots. All right, uh, you know, one cool thing is our next pick got to go up one spot because the Miami Dolphins forfeited their first round pick for tampering with Sean Payton <laughs> and uh, Tom Brady. Can, <laughs> what a what a choice, huh? To just like try to put that together. But as we move into the front of this of uh, the front of the second round, um, I think this is where we start to see those positions that are underdrafted that the Seahawks have big needs at. Uh, you start to see the the guards, the centers, the the uh, the linebackers, right? These these positions that are somewhat underdrafted, uh, that people value less. This is where the Seahawks are probably going to have to strike and start to work on those positions because even well, let's talk about overall Kevin. I'll go to you first Kevin on this one. Uh, the linebackers, guards, and centers, how do you kind of see them in this in this draft? What, how do you feel about them? Um, so I think that there's there's kind of a, an absence of really quality guard prospects right now. Uh, the two guys that I trust in this are uh, Torrance and Avila. And then other than that, it's like tackle conversions and guys who don't move as well as I want. And... Like it's 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 a giant question mark at guard outside of that. For for me, it's like the guards and the guards and centers really look like um, none of them look. So I'll tell you this: the number one center on my board is Skaronsky. 
Uh, I know he's listed as a tackle by everyone. I just think he's a center or guard. He was the, in the number NFL. one center prospect coming out of high school in his draft area in his yeah. uh, recruiting class. And Northwestern was just like, this is our best offensive lineman, so let's put him at left tackle. Which mm-hmm. fine, whatever. But but he's number one on my on my center board. And other than him, I don't see a center or guard that I really feel like is worth a first round pick. So whenever I see one of those mock drafts that puts one of those guys to us at 20, I really, it makes my bones hurt. I don't think we have enough talent to re on our roster overall to reach, to reach back and pick a guy who's going to be like the 35th player, 35th best player in this draft. So it's like you said, Kevin, it's like, do convert one of our tackles or Avila in the second round is fine, but it's a lot of steady hands. And then the linebackers, they all have some level of question marks to me, which, you know, is a little, it's a little worrying. Yeah. Everyone's either tackling or a size question or like they were playing out of position in college. And so you're going like, or, or it's like uh, you have Jack Campbell. You're just like, is he a good enough athlete in the NFL for it to translate? So here's my question. It's like these 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 guards, centers and linebackers, do any of them separate themselves enough from the from the pack for you to want it? Because if you're picking them in the second round right here, you're making a if that's a big that's a big commitment, right? That's basically saying like, hey, for us, if you pick if we pick a guard or a linebacker here or a center, we're basically saying you're starting right. If we pick them at this point, is there someone who's far enough ahead of the pack from you uh, that you would say, yeah, let's go get that guy? Because there is a lot of edge and interior defensive players that I think are really interesting in this range. That, really good three down set guys. I agree. Yeah. That like Tuli to, to a Palutu or like um, Keon white and stuff like those guys Carl are really Brooks, in- Yeah. Those guys are really interesting to me comparatively. Like, you know, you never know how the draft's going to go, but like you look at these mocks and this is kind of where the range is going. Would you, would you kind of want to get one of these guards or centers here? Or do you, are you okay with just like saying like, you know what, let's just get the, the edge guy that, that might actually be, you know, is there than... a sexy interior lineman for Eric here? I really like That's Keon. I really like Keon white. I think he's like super interesting. I mean, the physical tools are, are out of bounds. Like he's going to test crazy. He's a little bit old. He's 24 because he did like old dominion to Georgia tech. <laughs> he didn't take like the super straight path to, to the NFL, but I just really like, like his, he's tall. He's really solid. He's going to have really long arms when they measure him. Um, he lost like a lot of bad weight that he had when he was at old dominion that I think like really got him, got him in shape. Uh, I just think he needs he needs to work on his pass rush moves. He has no variety. He just like does the same thing the whole game basically. Uh, at first, he might need to to like not play a lot of third downs, but like he does he does stuff right off the bat, and he has the frame and the athleticism to kind of develop as a pass rusher. Um, I think there's a lot of really good rotation guys um, for like the three down lineman spots that we need, uh, especially. Um, like there's some zero tech guys, but I think the other two spots, there's a lot more people that would make sense, um, throughout day two in rounds two and three. Yeah. But, what are we going to do at nose? Cause I, I'm looking at these nose prospects, Kevin, and I'm just like, Ugh, none of them, none of them are really doing it for me. Like, there's do we a need... few guys that really do it for me. And while oh, I'd they... be happy to talk about them in our next pick. Yeah. I was gonna say, are they, are they just like later guys? Do you think we could find a good nose later? 
I'm, yeah, because I think the guys that are getting a lot of hype as being able to do interior pass rush are guys where I'm like, I don't know if they can actually handle a double team and be like and be an early down guy too. Um, there's a couple guys that are gonna go later where I'm like, you know what, this guy might be a two down nose, but he's going to be exactly what we need as a two down nose that can handle a double team in the middle and stuff the run. Yeah, see, I'm at like 75 guys scouted right now, so I'm like not super far into it. Like once I hit. Like round two, I'm like, I haven't watched very many of these guys. <laughs> around three, I mean, I'm like, I've only watched like a few of these guys usually. Um, uh, so, so that's kind of like the interior guys I would pick up here. Um, I would make an exception for Osiris Torrance, who I think comes in as a day one, um, powerful, quality right guard. Like, he would just come in, lock down that spot, and be really good right away. Mm-hmm. The other guy is, um, so Steve Avila is my number two center and my number three guard uh, behind Skaronsky at center and behind Skaronsky and Torrance at guard. I think he can play both. He has over a thousand snaps at both in college. Um, He moves really well. He needs to develop a little better upper body power, but I really think that he's a very good offensive line prospect. He's really, I like how fast he gets off in the run game. Mm-hmm. I think his pass sets need work, but like he really gets off quickly in the run game. And it makes me think that if he can just get with a good like footwork coach, his passing, his pass blocking can really come along. The first year, I don't think he'll be great, but like it's like that with, it's like that with young offensive linemen. I also think at center, it's going to be a little, like if he ends up being a center instead of a guard for us, I think that that pass blocking will be even less of a problem because of what centers need to do. Um, yeah. But I, I, I agree, lot, he'll be he'll be further along as a run blocker. A lot end. of people love looking at like John Michael Schmitz, Luke Weipler, these center prospects. I'm just going to say in general, when I watch those guys, I think they look more good than great. I mean, it's cool to draft like the 15th best center, but it's also, I just don't, for me, there's not a ton of upside when I watch those guys. I'm just like, yeah, those are, those guys are solid. They're not like, yeah, there's like five dudes that are all really solid. And then they're like a hundred picks apart. And I'm like, why? Yeah, it's just like it's like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go crazy trying to get John Michael Schmitz when I think you can get the same guy fifty picks later. He's not he's like a fringe second third round guy to me at best, and it's just like why 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 make a big effort to get him? But once it one thing too I want to talk about just in general with draft, you never know with these guys because they go and they interview all these guys, and you see we don't get to see everything, and like that interview really matters, right? That interview really really matters, and. That might be why we drafted LJ Collier because, like, I was we thought, say. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like at LJ Collier. That that's a pick that I look back at the entire run of Pete Carroll and John Schneider and go like, oh, why? What, but what like, was it that maybe they saw like you know okay he's got a really good bull rush and this interview is just like he killed it he he's exactly the kind of guy we want on our team so we're gonna make that effort we're gonna go get him and will develop him and it just never, you know, it didn't happen for whatever reason. But yeah, for me, I think at, at, at 37, I'm looking at defensive linemen. I think there's going to be someone there who's really interesting, like a double warrior out of Northwestern or, uh, you know, Keon white or, you know, um, who's the guy from Pittsburgh. He might fall a little bit. Oh, uh, Elijah can't see. Yeah. Elijah uh, can't see. Yep. Um, there's just going to be like one of those edge if guys. I think Mozzie Smith can figure it out. If, if, if there, I think at 37, there's going to be an edge guy that is really interesting that they can really move on that either can play, you know, three tech DE or, um, 
you know, get into that edge rotation. And either way, I think that that's kind of where I would, would uh, lean on going here. And uh, then we get down to 51. And I think this is where you could force center if you want. Um, you could see, but the linebackers here, I'm okay. Let's talk about one of a, div- a divisive player at this point. He's becoming a very uh, divisive player. That's the Arkansas linebacker, Drew Sanders. Okay. Kevin, is there any chance? So Drew Sanders has moved down, been moving down people's boards. PFF moved him down like 50 spots. Is there any chance Drew Sanders is available to you at 51? Uh, <laughs> I don't think he should be, but I think it's possible. Um, he's going to be a case of the NFL not having enough imagination because he's a guy who strikes me as someone who can line up outside as a pass rusher and has that skill set and has that experience, or he could sign up, line up inside as inside linebacker. And he's not really a finished prospect at either spot. Um, so if you don't have enough so imagination, it, so he missed, so he missed a lot of tackles last year cause he didn't know yep. how to play the position. Like it's not the end of the world. Like you can clean that up over time. But we've seen that before where like uh, defensive coaches just like can't see the other half of the picture. And so they're like, well, he, he just can't tackle. Like, look at look at all these tackles he missed. And it's like 22 is in your title, man. <laughs> 22 is a lot of missed tackles. I'm not going to like deny that it's it's a high number, but I just don't He's see how you can't... a defensive end playing middle linebacker, though. You, you can't watch it and see like, oh, man, this is a guy you could kind of move around and like do a bunch of cool stuff with. And with our system, with the the five guys and the three guys, I just watch him and I think, man, Pete Carroll is going to he's going to love this because he can move. He can move him into the middle linebacker and he can move him back to the outside and just kind of play play games with the other team. And, and I just think Drew Sanders is such a such an interesting fit as a Seahawks guy <clears throat> that when I watch it, I really I really get excited. So. I don't know. <clears throat> Linebacker is going to be a position they have to address at some point, whether it's signing Levante David, drafting Drew Sanders or Dayon Henley. Like they have to address linebacker because Brooks probably won't be ready to start the season. I'm not 100% sure, but seems like he's not. He had surgery, pretty major surgery. Uh, it would be surprising if he was back to start the season. We don't have Cody Barton. However, we, we you don't feel have about any that. other bodies. And uh, Tanner Muse. Our pets' I don't heads know, are I, falling off. Tanner Muse is is there. We have Tanner Muse, okay? So I I just I worry that it's like that. Um I just want to ca- overall as as we now move on from this kind of topic. Overall, I don't want to caution Seahawks fans from being too locked in on offense or defense. There is not enough talent on this roster overall to get bent out of shape. We need the best players. We need stars. This team needs superstar players. Difference makers. Because right now we have DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Ken Walker, and I don't know if there's another star. Jamal, Jamal Adams, Adams one game a year. Quandre Diggs and Tariq Woolen are 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 probably can be too. Uh, so we just really need funny, to. See, but it's funny. We need to see. We need to see like these. We need to give Woolen a chance to develop into the superstar we think he can be, um, and he's very close to being. And we need Jamal to stay healthy to give that defense its edge because. You have to tilt the field. We need half the field to be off limits from from Tariq. We need Jamal Adams to be being everywhere on the field if the season is successful. And that's why if we can add more stars from this draft, we shouldn't just be plugging holes. That's like I think the wrong approach, and it's what leads to us drafting 
the LJ, LJ Colliers, Colliers of the world. <laughs> uh, just draft the best player. I don't care if it's Bijan Robinson and we already have Ken Walker. Like, just get me the best guys because the stars are what tilt the field and make things difficult for the defense. And we see with the 49ers, you can find a way to make two running backs effective. They do it with Debo Samuel and Christian McCaffrey all the time. And we'll know what's going <laughs> to happen. People, people, I, people. I'm just gonna let like, that slide. I don't care. Do, um. I mean, it's true. Debo Samuel is just a running back. They do, all they do is get him the ball in space. That's all they do. They don't. They don't. He doesn't run like super awesome routes or anything. I mean, yeah, he's he's. But he doesn't he's okay. need to. It doesn't matter. He doesn't need to. You just get him the ball in space, and he'll run people over. And the <laughs> like way that we'll know this is what's going to happen is based on how they address free agency, right? If they have that free agency plan where they get a warm NFL body that is in all the positions where we are too thin, then that tells us that they're prepping to be able to just do best player available. So we'll have a pretty good idea heading up to the draft. If it looks like it'll be that kind of draft. It's what happened last year. Like we had guys that could play spots. Right. If Gino turns out to be too expensive, we go get, we can resign drew lock to an affordable deal. And you know, you know about drew lock has a hose. So then, you know, we, we, we have, we have a hose ready to go. If all else fails, I mean, obviously, if we go into next season with Drew Locke at quarterback, we are probably looking at drafting a QB. But it's not—it's not like we have to it's get the guy dire. who's ready. We we have a guy that they like, that they trust, that they can go get. They go get Drew. They get Drew. They go get, and then so now Geno's too expensive. So we sign a bunch of guys. We get we get Levante David. We go get um, Dalvin Tomlinson. We get Dalvin Tomlinson. We we yeah. go we go make a run at um, the guy from the Commanders. That's who I was trying to think of. We make yeah. a run at those guys, though. We make a we run at all. Of... Chase Young, Deron yeah. Payne is what you're thinking, but yeah, Deron Payne. Yes, uh, we we but, go and but get. Seeing that we're go... trading for Chase Young is appealing. Tra- trade for Chase Young, yeah. He's he only got he got no sacks last year. He's terrible now. We I think third round pick should do it, right, Manders? So yeah, it's it's a uh, it's just you do those little things, and it's like okay, now this roster's all filled up. They're just really gonna get the. They're gonna go get their dudes. They're gonna go try to get their guys, and that's what I want to see. I want to see us put ourselves in a position to just take the best talent because yeah that if you can take the guys that are sliding you know the guys that are falling down other people's draft boards because they're filling their needs that's you could you end up the good teams do that the good teams just take the best players look at look at the eagles they draft defensive linemen every year and they already have the best defensive line okay but that doesn't matter they're just drafting the best jordan davis jordan davis could just be in the rotation who cares like that we will and then he can plug a spot when one of these guys gets priced out that's what that's what the Seahawks need to be doing. They need to be doing that exact same thing <clears throat> with our. And roster. look at our cornerbacks room last year. We resigned Sydney. We uh, picked up Artie Burns, and then we had like, okay, well Trey's going to come back off injury, and we're going all right. We got a pretty is he, deep is he room. Though? Is he though? But I'm saying what we thought then. <laughs> um, and so uh, Too the, soon, Nathan. the thought process was uh, before we found out that that entire draft class was cursed, no matter how small it was, is that I. Uh, you know, cornerback, okay, so that's not a spot we need. We have multiple guys who are viable starters. And then what happened? We drafted two dudes who came in and were immediately one of the best uh, pairs of young defensive backs added to any roster. And so, yeah, we, we added Tyreek, and it didn't matter that we had people there because you're never going to be like, no, we can't be so deep at that position. We'll be too deep at cornerback. That's such a problem having too many talented NFL players at one position, but that's not a thing. So yeah, it's, it's, you want to have a full roster and be like, just taking it over the top in the draft. So when we get to 51, 
being able to go like, yeah, you know, we, we were bringing back Monet. We think it'll be healthy, but Keanu Benton's in there. Keanu Benton is uh, probably the most complete nose tackle. That's not going to go in the first round. So that'd be a guy I would love to see at 51. That's where we pick up our centers at 51, whichever one of those like cluster of like solid guys is. Um, that's where we pick up uh, whichever one of those guys who can play like a 285 pound edge spot um, uh, for one of our three down linemen. That's a good spot to get one of those guys. So we could be flexible with that second, second round pick. Or that's where we get the wide receiver that we're like, why is this guy here still? Like if they think Parker Washington is the next Golden Tate, if they think if Jalen Hyatt didn't get picked up because he's so fast. I don't understand the Jalen Hyatt is not in a bunch of people's like uh, top X. Because Jalen Hyatt is only fast. He but does not good. run good routes. He does not. Uh, he's uh, D- he's Paul Richardson. These D- this is what everyone said about DK Metcalf. Oh, he can't run a route tree. And it's like, it doesn't matter. He's good at he's football. He's Paul Richardson. He had he had six touchdowns against Alabama. Like, let it go. Okay. So. DK Metcalf is 50 pounds heavier than Jalen Hyatt. I do think that that is something to know. Okay. <laughs> and it's it's all, yeah, it's all biceps. So, all right. There are many ways to support the Seahawks Nest podcast. Best way to do so at over patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. For as little as $1.24 a month, uh, join the Discord. Uh, send us a message, support the show. All right, Emmanuel, Andy, Brett, Cooper, do it all for the Tucci, Evan, Flocktibus, Gavin, Greta, James, Jost, Joshua, Lucas, Rad Dad, Nikki C, Ryan, Timothy, Astro, Blake, Bob, Casey, Daniel, David, Foles, Jay, Michelle, Mike, Mike, Richard, Thomas, Warwolf, Brandon, and Nick. Thanks for supporting the show. Uh, and yeah, make sure you hanging out with us in the Discord. Always a good time. Okay, uh, the uh, first movie ever to cost one hundred million dollars. <laughs> did you guys know that? Was it really? I did not. This was the first movie ever to cost one hundred million dollars. Estimated to cost between one hundred and one hundred and twenty million dollars. One hundred forty-one minutes. I that was the part of it that I liked the least, and everything else was, uh, we'll we'll talk about in a second. Well, that's because it's James Cameron. <laughs> James Cameron's True Lies. All right, Eric, I'm gonna let you kick us off. True Lies, uh, the story of Harry Tasker and his double life. Harry Tasker, what a what a great white guy American name for that is a placeholder name if I ever heard one, and then they just never got rid of the placeholder. <laughs> I just want the guy ask who looks this. and sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger should not be named Harry. Tasker. Our our last name is an our last name is a verb, so we need to give our child an adjective first name. Great, so great let, job. Let's start with this the 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 secret agency that that Harry Tasker works for. <laughs> It's called Omega Sector. <laughs> yeah. Did well, you like that they put Chuck Heston in charge of Omega Sector too? That was oh, a nice little. Well, dressed as Nick Fury, basically. <laughs> it's it's what Nick Fury. It's it's basically Shield. That's what I loved about it. Is as like a twenty year old, I was like, oh, this but is totally. I kind of want to talk about the other side of this coin, which is his double life. Can you imagine trying getting sold a computer uh, computers from a person who looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger? Like his other jo- his re- his real job is he's a computer salesman. Can, I, I just can't imagine. Guys. I just can't imagine him be like a guy like Arnold coming in like all ripped all ripped to shreds like he is in this movie and just being like, "Hey, would you like to buy a computer?" <laughs> like it's like yeah, is <laughs> his whole family life of how his family is like you know he's not there for his wife and. Everything's so boring. Not with that physique. Like, none of that's believable. That all goes out the window. This guy's like, working out, like, at least four hours a day. 
yeah, yeah. that's <laughs> i mean i guess that maybe that does play into why she's so bored and why they don't do anything because he he's computer mr universe yeah. i have to go on a business universe so yeah okay. um so this this movie has uh, some great actors in it let's let's i should say great characters in it played by <laughs> actors um Tom Arnold in his greatest role ever in a James Cameron movie. Tia Carrere, maybe one of her best roles ever uh, between that oh, yeah. and She's, World. That, tank, that tango scene, dude. Yeah, the, the tango scene at the beginning. Uh, real good. I'm, I'm an art. I'm an art enthusiast. Um, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis, who's always just been good in whatever she's in, uh, usually as, you know, just the opposite coin. Like in Halloween, she's the opposite coin to Mike Myers. In Trading Places, she's like the opposite side of the tracks to where Eddie Murphy's character is. Here, she's kind of the glue that holds this whole plot together, makes it a true lie. Um, she's I agree. I think it was great. Like, that was a great bit of casting as somebody who can play off of whatever Arnold was going to be able to do with that character and make it all kind of work. Like, she was acting her butt off in this movie very well. Well, and also, like, uh, let's just say, you know, she's like this bored housewife and she's, you know, uh, just kind of frumpy but then when they they make her uh you know do the uh the dance in the movie uh you mm-hmm. get to see jamie lee curtis who's who's always been a proponent of working out and you know is, is very beautiful and also uh simon <laughs> sees this <laughs> uh when he's hitting on her uh my my favorite uh one of my favorite actors our favorite actors uh bill paxton i like uh, how there's the implication is like bill paxton is like a, a like he's a sedu- he's good at seducing women that's like that's, yeah, he's a sleazy <laughs> car salesman who seduces single uh, who seduces uh, married uh, women like and housewives. The worst it's hilarious seducing like who is going to buy this <laughs> that he's you know which is so funny and that's what makes this movie so enjoyable is that Bill Paxton's character as we said is a, a smarmy <laughs> salesman but he's playing his 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 seducing game isn't to say like oh you know I have a script in development at DreamWorks or something. No, he is a secret agent, and at least one woman buys it. Uh, when in fact her husband is a secret agent, I thought that was that was a nice little coin, uh, you know, toss on the the scene in the vet the when he's side. explaining his whole scam and everything. Oh my gosh! And then you and then you juxtaposition that with when they uh, pick him up in the van and they take him to the edge of the dam and they're messing with him. Like <laughs> those two scenes with that character are so good. Yeah. The, the 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 whole Simon character is uh, is it's great. It's, he also is he has like the most unhinged part of the movie where he's like uh like ranting about like ass like a ten year old boy like and he's Dude, like that Mom. was such a that was such a weird line <laughs> that's so funny to I, establish him as just a terrible person. Yeah, he's just like such a trash human or whatever yeah they're just trying to make him look like a trash can uh if that's the 21 minutes that took it over two hours was just to include simon as a side character then never mind i approve the 141 minute right it had to be because look (laughs) at how far out of the the script and plot that goes it's how you can totally cut it out it's really just to establish like how bored uh, the the wife character is right i i will say this this movie feels like uh, like James Cameron, this is how you be a man's man. <laughs> the the movie a little bit like like um it's definitely if James written, Cameron made the rock. <laughs> it's definitely written by a a guy who at this point had already had three divorces. Like I <laughs> I I just 
and and was about was going to have one more later. Like this is just it just really feels like James Cameron's like yeah, this is like the what you do like when your wife is going to divorce you because she's bored. You set up a spy situation and all this <laughs> crazy stuff happens and you blow up a nuclear warhead and and then Arnold says bye while he walks across the fridge and I don't know. It's like there's there's just like. It's Wait, so, so do you think Simon is a Lord Farquaad character in this? Like, <laughs> like yeah, it's like there was a are, Simon in one of these relationships. He's like, wait, correct. we need to include this guy. That is, I, I hundred percent think that. Like, the Simon is like a stand-in for like all the guys who made his marriage, who made James Cameron's marriages fail. And James Cameron's marriages only failed because he was too into directing movies. Like that, like it's all just like an analogy for like his, his him going through three divorces and and he's just. James Cameron's just a man's man, you know, he just works hard and he's just a manly man. And, and, you know, eventually he's going to win all his, his wives back or whatever, it, Which whatever he they would then, he would then work on with Titanic, his love letter to women. <laughs> Someone, some, someone in the discord was like, uh, you should have included Titanic as a toxic, masculine, toxic relationship <laughs> <Yes>. movie. <laughs> I asked, yeah, I asked my wife there were, to, there were two toxic relationships in that movie, if yeah. not more. So good job there. I, I asked Abby what her, what any idea she had and she came up with Titanic. And I was like, Oh, that's real good. And then I saw that is a good story. one for sure. Oh, uh, but yeah, um, this is uh, so James wait, Cameron doing an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. Uh, obviously this guy is all about plot. And we now have an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with plot, but still, still an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. The thing about James Cameron is that it makes him great and makes this movie better than it has any right to be. You know, it's like a solid three, three and a half, four, wherever, where, somewhere in that range for probably most people who watch it. Is that he does such a good job connecting these set pieces that are like obviously very cool and expensive. You know, you got the bridge, the helicopter, the all the jet stuff. Like that stuff is expensive. They spent a ton of money on those on that stuff, but it's like those set pieces are super cool and they did a then the James Cameron is good at putting enough like you said Eric story and plot into his movie to uh to really make that work and it's like I just love uh I love that stuff. Wait, so is Terminator 2 Judgment Day um, where he sacrifices himself to save the world, uh, True Lies, uh, the whole relationship thing, and then Titanic. Are these three movies just him at different stages of therapy? He's working through Isn't his issues, man. He He's is working, working through, through some stuff. stuff. You He's know, working through his stuff. Yeah. I, I I hope that my therapy can be as artistically productive as this dude's. That's all I'm saying, man. Like, and now he's in a midlife <laughs> crisis, doing whatever he wants, acting like a child, and he's making all the Avatar movies that no one cares about. Yeah, yeah we're just going, not gonna going ask down to the bottom the of short. Going down to the bottom of the ocean in a submarine. We're just not going to ask what part of uh, his therapy the 1988 short Martini Ranch is. Yeah. Okay. One <laughs> one last thing I wanted to let you guys know about about uh, True Lies, which is that they really wanted to make a sequel. The True Lies two has a has a script somewhere that James Cameron finished. This is but, so good. <laughs> but. Uh, by March 2001, the script was completed. Jamie Lee Curtis confirmed to reprise her role alongside Arnold Schwarzenegger and Tom Arnold. Following the September 11th attack, Schwarzenegger said, we'll shoot it next year. We have a good script, but there does need to be some changes because it deals with some terrorism act of some sort, but it's pretty much done. Later, James Cameron said, terror is no longer something to take as lightly as we did in the first one. I just can't <laughs> see this movie happening given the current world climate. Guys, terrorism just isn't as funny anymore. <laughs> in 2003, so 
Schwarzenegger said, Cameron was worried because there's an airplane scene, a terrific airplane scene that didn't have anything to do with the terrorism that we had in 9-11, but it was a great fight scene inside a plane when the plane goes down and that kind of thing. And it was a very important <laughs> moment in the movie and he felt like he couldn't do it and he has to try to rewrite it. But these things can take a long time. And Curt- Jamie Lee Curtis said, terrorists aren't funny anymore. They never were, but it was distant <laughs> enough from our psyche that we could make it funny. It'll never be funny again. I just think that is over. That kind of humor is over. And then Schwarzenegger was elected governor of California, and it just never happened. There, uh, There is definitely a scene with a giant fight on an airplane where they come dangerously close to hitting skyscrapers, and it crashes uh, in a place that doesn't hurt people. That is guaranteed the scene they're talking about. There's no other way. Like, think uh, about it. Like, Excuse you. You mean it crash lands because Arnold will land the plane. This is fact- true, yeah. The fact that they were like, oh, we just can't make this movie now makes me feel like it was really like the way they presented it was um, very like, really insens- insensitive or like just not not good because <laughs> yeah. uh, the first movie is a little bit like it's a little bit like um, it's crazy. It, honestly you could say it reads like a satire of masculinity until you really think about it. And you're like, no, James Cameron means every bit of this because he's going through some <laughs> stuff. He's going through yeah. some stuff. It's um, a more self-serious last action hero. Yeah, but it, that's it's, true. It's it's a good movie. I would recommend it to anyone who loves action, anyone who loves James Cameron, anyone who loves just like any of that stuff. So big dumb blockbusters. The best Arnold Schwarzenegger killing the bad guy at the end of the movie scene. Like, how do you top uh, Commando impaling a guy with a a steam pipe? Oh, uh, li- living color, no. Living colors performing sunshine of your love. Yeah, just, and just putting just, just in uh, this movie. Having the main uh, evil terrorist dangling off of a missile <coughs> that you are flying over a city and you shoot the missile through a building into the other bad guy's helicopter. I don't, I honestly, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it gets better than that. And I'm being Eat honest. your heart out, Stone Cold. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. I'd like to see that in Die Hard 17. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Here we go. Uh, maybe we'll get, maybe we'll finally get True Lies 2 and it'll be like True Lies Retirement Edition, you know. <laughs> They're 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 about to retire. It'll be like eighty for Brady, but with uh, with spies. But so anyway, uh, for Kevin, for Eric, we'll see you all next week. Go Hawks.